What music can you safely use in your podcast? Navigating copyrighted music for podcasts can be a tricky enterprise. So, in this episode, we're turning to the queen of music clearances, Deborah Manis-Gardner, for all the answers on what you can license, how you go about securing the correct music rights clearances, and importantly, make sure you stay on the right side of the law, because you can expect penalties if you do the wrong thing. When you look at penalties, I think you would probably look at either pull-down notices The platforms might not allow your stuff to go up. It's kind of like in the world of samples. If you have a sample and you haven't cleared it, those platforms are not going to allow the song to go up. And they sometimes rely on AI to identify that stuff. I think that's going to start moving into podcast as well. I'm Nick Schuldberger, Managing Director of Audio Agency Sound Cartel. And this is Podcasting Essentials. Welcome to Episode 15 of Season 5. And joining me is producer and co-host Nicole Goodman. Hi, Nick. Lovely to be with you again. Now, right off the top, what music can I use in my podcast is a question we get all the time, along with follow-up questions around fair use, or will I get caught if I use just a little bit of copyrighted music? (laughs) And our answer until now has been, quite simply, just don't use music that has copyright without permission because you're simply breaking the law. Exactly. And look, it's just not worth the risk. And at the end of the day, it's not fair to the artists and the copyright holders who deserve to be paid for their music, their work, and the process of getting all the correct licences from writers, artists, publishers and labels might not be a simple exercise, not to mention really costly. Yeah, that's why I've leaned towards recommending royalty-free music to our clients. Mm. Or if you have the budget, perhaps getting something composed. Mm. But for those who really want to use music under copyright, there are people out there that can help with the process. Exactly, Nick. And music clearances for podcasting is still a bit of a moving feast. But Deborah Manis-Gardner is going to take us through all the ins and outs. Deborah is the go-to expert for global music rights clearances. After starting DMG Clearances in 1996, Deborah's sample clearance skills quickly became legendary. And she's cleared releases for artists like Drake, Eminem, Pop Smoke, Justin Bieber, Kendrick Lamar, John Legend, Lady Gaga, Rihanna and Beyonce. Just to name a few, Nick. Just a few, yes. (laughs) Just a few. And that's half the list. Deborah's also handled music clearances for major feature films and ad campaigns for the likes of Google, video games like Grand Theft Auto, and grand rights clearances for Lin-Manuel Miranda's hit Broadway show, Hamilton. Love it. Love it. Including music clearances for its release on Disney+. And, not to be outdone, Nick, she's also managed political campaign clearances for Joe Biden's 2020 presidential campaign. One busy lady. One busy lady. When it comes to podcasting, though, Deborah has also cleared music for Dave Chappelle's The Midnight Miracle and Rick Rubin and Malcolm Gladwell's Broken Record. Again, just to name a few. So she unquestionably has the experience we're after. Welcome, Deborah, to Podcasting Essentials. Well, thank you for having me. Deborah, thank you so much for being with us. 
You are known as the queen of music clearances, so we really are in the best hands to navigate this tricky world of music in podcasts. But before we get to that, can you tell us a little bit about some of the huge international projects you've cleared music for? It was so crazy for you to use the word international, and then I realized because you're on the other side of the world, the timing is perfect with you guys because I actually just finished the Drake album last week while on vacation. So I think that's pretty big. Oh, that's just launched. Yeah, that was launched midnight on Thursday. Mm. And prior to that, we had just finished up Pop Smoke's album, DJ Khaled's album, Big Sean. I mean, there's there's a lot of albums that we're working on sample clearance wise. And then simultaneously, we are doing film projects, music supervision, as well as clearing, hopefully, uh, Spinning Gold, which I've been working on for almost seven years, should be coming out next year, which is the story of Neil Bogart and Casablanca Records, which is a pretty fascinating man. When you start listening to music, you realize his fingers touched everything from Kiss to Donna Summer to the Village People. So that was a pretty exciting project, and that'll be coming out next year. And... Podcast world, we did the Midnight Miracle with Talib Kweli and Yasin Bey and Dave Chappelle. So we kind of are just all over the place, and we're about to start another video game this week. So it's all happening. Yeah, these are all big. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. are big. Wow. Never a dull moment. <laughs> no. No. Absolutely not. So let's talk about podcasts. When it comes to using music in podcasts, there are so many options from production music, royalty free libraries perhaps even getting something original composed. So are you working with many podcasters looking to license copyrighted music? So most of our podcast work is just that, people who are looking for pre-existing copyrights to be incorporated into their podcast. And I think it's really important for the position that I'm involved, which is really to educate, to guide, and to make sure do they really need the music if they don't have the budget. So there are a lot of other podcast people that help them create new music, score, library. I get involved when they're looking for pre-existing material. And there's quite a bit of demand? It's growing. It really is. The Midnight Miracle was really filled with a lot of music as well as audio clips or snippets from video footage, which was really weird for me to do. I don't usually do clips, but they asked me to. And it's a lot more detailed. So if you're using a snippet of Muhammad Ali, you obviously need to get consent from the estate, but you also need to get consent from whoever produced or recorded it, and usually it's a a sports network. So it was pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Well, Deborah, music use in podcasting is a little bit like the Wild West when you compare it to movies and TV that are far more regulated. But that doesn't mean we're protected from being sued just because others are breaking the rules, does it? And what sort of penalties could podcasters expect? I think they could expect pull-down notices. You know, we do refer to podcasts as the wild, wild west. But if you know anything about me and my background, I started in the world of sample clearances back in 1990. Also deemed the wild west. Also deemed theft, if you recall. So... We try to remind people with podcasts that we're not reinventing the wheel. It's a new platform for music to be used. So this is where I try to remind people, if you're going to use music, clear it. One of the most amazing and brilliant podcasts, do you remember Combat Jack, which was Reggie Osei's podcast? If you get a chance to Google that, he was an attorney who went into podcasts way before podcasts were really big. 
and interviewed a lot of the hip-hop and rap community. When he first approached me as an attorney, he decided to deem it fair use, not expecting it to really explode. And it did. And that's why we don't hear his stuff anymore, because a lot of it was pulled down because it really wasn't deemed fair use. But he was really in the forefront here in the United States with podcasts and hip-hop and telling stories about how these hip-hop songs came about. It's pretty exciting and interesting. So when you look at penalties, I think you would probably look at either pull-down notices. The platforms might not allow your stuff to go up. It's kind of like in the world of samples. If you have a sample and you haven't cleared it, those platforms are not going to allow the song to go up. And they sometimes rely on AI to identify that stuff. I think that's going to start moving into podcast as well. So we're new. We're the bastard child of what's going on in entertainment. I think COVID really exploded the podcast movement because people were stuck home and wanting to to listen to stuff. And so we need to create those ground rules so that we can have great podcasts with music that doesn't break the bank. All right. You've convinced me that we need to uh, get it cleared. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked a lot here about the risks of using music in podcasts without the correct licensing. So to do it properly, can you explain exactly what needs to be cleared? I know it can get quite complicated with publishers, artists, and even the labels all sticking their hand out. So, for example, if I want to use a Britney Spears song in my podcast, where do I start? Well, the first thing I'm going to say to you is you're not going to reach out to the artist, and you're not going to reach out to the artist's attorney, and you're not going to reach out to the artist manager. If you're utilizing music, there's two sides to a song. You've got the publishing side, and you have the master or label side. We look at the publishing side first. The publishing consists of the writers that have written the lyrics in the song or the music. That's the publishing side of the copyright. So we're going to approach the publishers and the publishers approach the writers. There's a reason that a writer has signed with a publisher so that they don't incur costs for their attorneys or whomever to deal with these things. Their publisher's job is to oversee the approval, to facilitate the paperwork, to collect the revenue, and then take their cut. The same thing on the master side. Most artists are in a contract with a record label, and so you're going to the record label to get consent for this side of the master. I'm not going to use Britney as an example because that's a mess. But let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's say someone wants to use pop smoke. So instead of going to the estate or former management, they would go to Universal, the record label, for the consent of the pop smoke master. On the publishing side, it's the same thing. There are going to be multiple writers, and it might be a combination of Universal, Warner Chapel, and BMG, and we approach them. So that's why we get involved in helping clear pre-existing music, because it's our job to research the copyright, find out who the writers are, the publishers, the splits, the label, if there's a side artist or a feature, and we need to get that, we organize that. We send out letters of requests. We explain to the copyright holders what's being used. We're using 15 seconds background while someone discusses how Pop Smoke influenced their, I don't know, their education. And with that information, the copyright holders reach out to their approval parties and help facilitate all of the clearances. So how can we be 100% sure then that no single party connected to a song can just pop up down the track? That's a great question because I just went through a situation with a huge artist releasing something. We confirm the writers. We confirm the publishers. We confirm the splits. 
BMG said they had 60%, Universal said they had 15 and Sony had 25 It added up to 100%. We confirm the deal with all the publishers. And then we get an email saying, oh, whoopsie, you didn't clear our writer. I said, what share? What, what are you talking about? It adds up to 100 So now we're dealing with the dispute situation. My client's not in any trouble because we've dotted our I's and crossed our T's. But as a clearance company, we do get involved and assist in trying to sort that out. So if this person has a relevant claim of 25%, we need to find out who reduces to accommodate that and to make sure that they will agree to whatever that quote is or that deal that we did with everyone else. So, you know, you can never be 100% sure. This is the music industry. You know, it's kind of like when you go to buy a house, you look at it, you go to contract, you own that house. You're done. In the world of music clearances, you do a deal, and two years down the road, your deal's not in place. So, I mean, our industry is nothing like anything else that exists in reality. Now, there's also a sync license. Can you explain what that is and where it fits in for podcasters? You know, that's a great question because it really doesn't. Okay. You know, the definition of a synchronization is you're syncing up music to a visual uh-huh. and you're locking it. But a podcast isn't a visual in most instances, okay? Mm. It's all audio. So some publishers have it go through their sync department, and some publishers have it go through their mechanical department. But it doesn't necessarily make sense to go through the mechanical department because your mechanical department usually deals with royalties, and podcasts are usually a flat fee. So again, it's the Wild West, bastard child, we don't have rules in place, and so we're still trying to figure this out. You know, we're just... We're not there yet, but we will. And that's why there's a whole bunch of us trying to structure this so we can get to that next level. Mm. Well, you'll, you'll always be in work. My gosh. <laughs> oh, you know what? Because at DMG, you know, at my company, we're always trying to stay on top of technology. You know, when COVID hit and everything became virtual or virtual live, you know, we had to change how we were doing things. You know, and this was during the Biden campaign. So we actually handled all the music clearances for the Biden campaign. And so you're dealing with PRO license with Zoom because you're doing Zoom fundraising with music. It's our job as clearance people to always be on top of new technology to make sure that rights are secured properly. Nothing should ever be free, but that we can streamline it as best we can. Podcasts are usually available internationally. So do we need different licenses for each region or do you negotiate international rights? We always get worldwide rights Mm -hmm. because podcast is on a digital. So anything that's digital, like even when you're clearing, you know, advertising has moved from broadcast to the internet. And so when you talked about the internet, you immediately will say worldwide or you'll say geoblocked. So when I'm doing podcasts, I would never want to geoblock it. I always go straight for worldwide rights. It doesn't matter where you're located. And what about timeframes? I know Dawson's Creek had to change its theme song when it first released on Netflix. Is this because they didn't get an in-perpetuity license for I Don't Want to Wait? Is it difficult to get longer license timeframes? You know, that's exactly what happened with Netflix, as well as a lot of films that are not on Netflix because they didn't have those rights. So if you're in the world of sync, you'll realize that for TV shows, you're usually getting all media, excluding theatrical and perpetuity. Again, we're dealing with podcast and bastard child where they're not granting perpetual rights. Oh. They're giving you two years or three years or five years, but never greater than that. 
So sometimes what I try to do is see if we can get, can we get two years with a renewal of two years with a bump at 15%? So we can try to extend it as long as we can. But you're right, the bottom line is we're going to have to go back and re-clear it. We just had to do that with Dave Chappelle. We did not get perpetual rights except for our clips because clips people are used to doing perpetual rights. But all the music, they did not grant perpetual rights. So we will go back so that that show doesn't die out. Why is that in podcasting? What? Yeah, why is it not a longer time frame? I think the publishers and labels are scared they're going to lose out on revenue. Remember, we're doing our deals at a much lower cost. Sometimes I'm trying to get something at $250 or $500. I mean, Dave Chappelle obviously was higher, but because of who he was and, and what was involved. You know, I was at a panel pre-COVID a couple of years ago where one publisher said, well, maybe if we consider getting a piece of the ad revenue, we might do it for a longer term. But there really isn't a lot of ad revenue. So I think we're, again, we're still in that beginning stages. And I'm hoping within a couple of years, we will be at that next level. And it's not just podcasts. You know, I work with audiobooks as well. And they won't grant perpetual rights for an audiobook. Mm-hmm. They'll either limit the number of streams um, if you're reprinting lyrics, they limit the number of print copies. I mean, they're just always scared that they're going to lose out on something. Well, extending on that a little bit, licensing a well-known sound is expensive. But in your experience, are publishers and labels prepared to be more generous to podcasters because there just isn't the money in podcasting when you compare it to feature films, for example? Can you share what we might expect to pay for a music license? I think if we even look at the world of films, those rates have really come down, especially that pronouns are not going into theater. They're going straight to TV due to COVID. So with podcasts, like I said, you know, we try to do it like at $250, $500. Then the question becomes, if you've got a huge budget, do you offer a huge amount of money to get those broader rights? I don't know if that's necessarily going to work or the answer. But that's what we're going to try to figure out over the next couple of years. You've already mentioned the term fair use. We often hear that as a defense from podcasters that are using copyrighted music without clearance. Our advice to date has been simply just don't do it. But what do you say to those people who say, oh, well, I'm only using a tiny bit or I'm promoting the song or even that my podcast doesn't generate any money. So what can they do? Okay, so yeah, I don't touch fair use, and I usually recommend for people to use like a fair use attorney. You know, there's a law firm here in California called Donaldson and Califf that's one of the best fair use attorneys in the country, in my opinion. They're very boutique, and they specialize in that. So then we talk about if you don't have any money, then you shouldn't be licensing or using any music that is pre-existing, I guess is my response to that. I will never, as a clearance person, tell someone to go ahead and proceed because it's it's such a small use. You can never tell me that it's just for promotional purposes because therefore, if it's promotional, it really does have a value because you're benefiting from the use of that song because it's promoting you. Yeah, great advice. Okay, so another scenario. I really like Purple Rain by Prince. Can I go to a composer and ask them to make something that sounds similar? I would never use the term sound similar or sound alike. I would say maybe you would create something in the same feel or vein as that, but I would never use the words you just did. Okay. (laughs) And have you seen cases where rights holders have gone after people that have tried this? 
Not on podcasts, but I remember many, many years ago, Bette Midler went after someone who tried to license one of her songs. She declined, or maybe she quoted too high. I can't remember the specifics. They hired someone that sounded like her, and uh, she sued them. So that's why I never use, you know, in the world of sample clearances, it's a little bit different because when you replay a song and incorporate it as a sample, we don't deem it as a sound alike. We call it an interpolation. But in a podcast or a film, if you're playing something that's a sound alike, you're crossing that gray line into darkness. <laughs> <laughs> the vortex. <laughs> well, final question, Deborah. For podcasters who have their heart set on using a particular song, what are the chances of a license being achievable and affordable? Should they have a few backups in mind? And how do they start the process of finding out? So when I I do free consultation, and the first thing I say to people is, what is the relevance of the song? Are you just in love with it because you really like dig Nina Simone or whatever it is? Or are you talking about something that makes it relevant to the use? And so we kind of talk through that, like, what is your budget? What is the relevance of it? And then what can we do to make it stay within your budget? So I think those are the parameters you really need to work with. Is that song a necessity to your podcast, like Broken Record Podcast, which we worked on? When we were getting pushback, my comment to the publishers were, these are writers talking about their songs. You wouldn't be a publisher if you didn't have these songs. So you should be accommodating to the people who wrote these songs and want to talk about it and keep those fees down. We needed those songs in there. Okay. Mm. But I did another podcast an attorney put together on estate planning. And if something came into expensive, we pulled it out. We would use something that was less expensive because it was just like funny little songs about, you know, if I die, you don't get my money kind of song. And we could find a lot of those to make it interchangeable. So that's what we do. We talk people through this. You have to determine what is the relevance, what is your budget, and do you really need to have it? Well, I am certainly a lot clearer, Deborah. Thank you so much for clearing up the difficult area of music in podcasts. And thank you again for joining us on Podcasting Essentials. Thank you for taking the time, Deborah. It was really insightful and helpful for podcasters who might be on their music sourcing journey. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, I know where I'm going if I ever want to use copyrighted music. Oh, yeah. It really is an art form to get music cleared, but I feel like with the right assistance, it isn't quite as daunting as I thought it would be. Mm. And perhaps even not quite as cost prohibitive either, particularly in these early days still of podcasting. But Nicole, would you bother licensing a song for a podcast? Look, if the podcast either lives or dies by the inclusion of this song, then yes, you need it and you might have to be prepared to pay big bucks for it. But also there are quite a few hoops to jump through and there are no guarantees that you'll actually get the rights clearances you want for the budget that you have. So look, I think it's wise to have multiple music strategies up your sleeve just in case. Yeah, I agree. And when it comes to that message about what you can and can't use, it is as clear as ever. If you don't have the appropriate rights to use a piece of music, then simply don't don't use it. it. Well, that's it for this episode of Podcasting Essentials. Thanks, Nicole, for joining me. It's been a really informative one, Nick, and hopefully some really practical advice on a prickly topic. For more about us and how we can help you produce a podcast, you can visit soundcartel.com.au. 
or our socials at SoundCartelAU. From the team at SoundCartel, thanks so much for listening. Listening.